Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, as we continue our study this morning of the Book of Romans, I just pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to your eternal truth. I pray, Lord, that we would rest in the Word's power, in its stability, in its usefulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to the 8th chapter of Romans as we continue our study. Our focal verse this morning is found in verse 32, but I want to read 28 through 32 to open up the sermon just so we can keep everything in context. So Romans 8, 28 reads, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? As has been my custom in preaching through this section of Scripture, I would like to remind you that salvation for every believer has a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. Therefore, our salvation is about an ongoing relationship with God. He has called us. He has redeemed us to himself. And our salvation is about a relationship with the Lord. It isn't about our personal desires in a material or an emotional sense here in this world. Paul wrote about this in Romans 8.30. If you look at 8.30, it reads, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. As I made mention before, Doug Moo in his commentary on this verse calls this the heavenly chain. They're all linked together. God is at work from the beginning of our relationship with him all through our life there until he calls us home and we stand before him in a glorified state. I also want to point out in Romans 8.30, before we continue on, that when you look at the heavenly chain, that it is definitive. The heavenly chain is definitive. And what do I mean by that? Well, take a look again at verse 30. 
It says, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And then it goes on, he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's definitive in the fact he doesn't say that he might. He might justify. He doesn't say he might glorify. In fact, it's so definitive when you think about the heavenly chain that it is saying something that's happening in the future. In the definitive case, that as if it has already happened. In other words... Think about it this way. Have you and I been glorified yet? No. But he says it definitively. Knowing that we will. Our salvation is definitive. And because the whole heavenly chain is going to happen in our life. The heavenly chain happens in every believer's life. Because it is definitive. We can have assurance. And Paul is giving us that assurance in Romans 8, 31 through 35. And he's giving us that assurance by posing to not only the original readers of Romans, the church of Rome, but he's giving it to us now that you and I can have assurance in our salvation. Now, as I've mentioned before, one of the worst ways to view salvation is as two bookends with nothing in between. You meet the Lord Jesus Christ and then nothing happens in your life until you exercise the so-called heavenly ticket when you stand before the Lord after you pass from this earth. That's not salvation. Salvation is the fact that God is at work in our life throughout our life. He's at work. He's accomplishing the heavenly chain, and it's definitive. And so he goes on then, and he asks us these five questions. The first question we studied last week, which is found in 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? In the original language, it reads, since God is for us. Since God is for us, who can be against us? And in a day in which we are witnessing the increased persecution of Christians globally, and as we start to see the persecution of Christians here nationally in America, this question gives us great assurance. In other words, no matter who stands against us in our beliefs, No matter how difficult the tribulation, our God towers over them. And he will complete us as part of the heavenly chain. Our next question that Paul poses is found in 32. And it reads this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, let's spend some time on the very first part of verse 32. He who did not spare 
his own son. In 1910, Charles Spurgeon was preaching on this very verse. And as you read his sermon that he preached in 1910, he poses something that I think is very important. He said, think what this gift was to the Father. Think what this gift was to the Father. And when you think about what he just posed in that sermon in 1910, and you put it in context or in relationship to verse 32, he who did not spare his own son. So if you give that statement proper context, when Paul wrote, he who did not spare his own son, it makes you realize that for us as humans, this is almost an inconceivable thought. He who did not spare his own son. That's hard for us as parents to get our head wrapped around. The fact that the father did not spare his own son. But we have an example in the Bible that helps us understand what Paul is writing about here in Romans chapter 8. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. Remember the story? God tells Abraham to take his only son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. After the Lord told Abraham to do this. Abraham obediently took his son up to the top of the mount. He obediently binds him up and places him on the altar. And just before Abraham is about to slay his son, his only son, he hears the angel of the Lord And it's recorded in Genesis 22, verse 11. It said, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son and called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Here we have Abraham as our human example of what God would do centuries later as the covenant is completed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord allowed Isaac to be spared, but God did not spare his own son. 
And there's a lot of beautiful comparisons between Isaac and Jesus. And I'd like to point those out to give this statement more richness that we find ourselves studying this morning. Isaac is Abraham's only son. Christ is the father's only son. In the account in Genesis 22, Isaac rides a donkey on his way to the sacrifice. Christ rides a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Isaac carries wood to the top of Mount Moriah. Jesus carries his cross. Abraham told Isaac that God would provide a lamb. Jesus Christ is that lamb. The ram was caught in the thorns. Jesus Christ was crowned with thorns. God spared Abraham his son. God freely gave his son to us all. He is the lamb. At the beginning of the covenant of Abraham, you see this going on, and it's fulfilled ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. It allows us to understand and appreciate that God did not spare His Son. How complete was that surrender? You can see it on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 46. When Christ cried aloud with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was complete. It wasn't held back. And in fact, in the original language, it means turned over. The Father turned over His Son, Jesus Christ. So when we look at that question again in verse 32... It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? It was an absolute gift. Nothing was held back. So who was the gift for? Look back at our focal passage again in 32. It says, but delivered him up for us all. Now, I think this is very important for us to define who is, quote, us all. Who is us all? Is it all humanity? No. In fact, 
if we just stay within the context of our focal passage here in Romans 8, you'll see that it's not all humanity. Look a couple of verses up that we just studied several weeks ago. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whether you're using the word predestination here in verse 29, or if you want to look at verse 33, the verse that we'll cover Next week, where Paul writes, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now, if you and I go to an election, we have an election coming up this November. If you go to the election, what are you going to do? You're going to pick somebody for an office. There's going to be two or three people on the ballot for a particular office, you're not going to say, I pick all of them. That would invalidate your ballot. You're going to pick. That's what election means. God's elect. God picks. God predestines. God foreknows. So us all, when you look back at our focal passage, When it reads in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Us all is not all of humanity. Us all is the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a specific gift. That's the Reformed view. The Arminian view is a common gift. It's a common gift. It's a gift to everyone. And they'll lay hold of John 3.16, For God so loved the world, as if in every person. God so loved the world, in proper context is, is that Christianity is not limited to the Hebrew people, it's available to every tribe, tongue, and nation, but it is limited in the fact that God chooses people out of every tribe, tongue, and nation, that they will place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Us all refers to the Christian people. And in fact, if you want to look at John 1, 12 through 13, it emphasizes that. John 1, starting in verse 12, it reads, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So how do I get to become a child of God? Do I pick? Do you pick? Well, John answers that in verse 13 of John 1. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's exclusive. God picks. It's not a common gift. 
It's not a common gift. It's a specific gift. And that specificity makes it a precious gift. And we're not born of God out of our own intellect, will of man, nor out of our own desire, will of the flesh, as John accurately describes in verse 13, but of God. We are born of God. In being born of God, God gives Christians this wonderful gift. Paul described it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him, him is referring to Jesus. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We didn't deserve it. Paul earlier in Romans wrote that there is none that are righteous. No, not one. So, so far in verse 32, we're at this point where he did not spare his own son. He freely gave his own son. We've defined who he freely gave his son to, the elect, not to all. It's not a common gift. There's a specific group of people that Christ was given to. So now Paul poses the question. How shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? How shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? What is all things? I think that's very important. If you're of the name it and claim it in prosperity camp, all things could mean a lot of stuff, couldn't it? It could mean a big bank account. It could mean a fancy car. It could mean the best parking spot. And you can really, in the name it and claim it materialism camp, you can unfortunately boil the majesty and royalty and wonder of Jesus Christ down to this pedestrian view of Jesus. That Jesus is just this celestial Santa Claus that's there just to give you whatever you want. And there's people that have that theological view. That the all things is that God is there to just serve you at your beck and call. Then you have to ask yourself this question, who's God? Who's God? Am I God? Are you God? That's what people that believe that they're going to direct the power and awesomeness of God to accomplish just their material desires. They're basically saying they're God. So it fits real well within their theology if they can boil Jesus down to that. And that's their all things. But they're taking that completely out of context. 
Because when you look at the verses that we're studying, the verses deal with salvation. These verses that we've been studying in Romans 8 deal with our salvation. And if you remember what I said at the beginning of this message, is that salvation, our salvation isn't a static belief. It's not a stale heavenly ticket in your pocket to be exercised at the gates of heaven. We believe in a dynamic salvation, a salvation where God is at work. He's accomplishing his purposes. And unfortunately, because we've had this cheap grace theology being preached for the last 50 years, believers are missing the richness of the salvation of God in how our names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the beginning of time. And God, through his power, is redeeming his people unto himself. And he's at work. He's at work in every one of our lives. Our salvation is meaningful because God is molding us and shaping us and changing us. Until we face him in glory. It's not a stale ticket. And in fact, when you look at Romans 8, 29, it reads, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What did he predestine us for? This is very important. It says, to be conformed to the image of his son. That is what he has saved us for. That is the purpose of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, is that he is conforming us to his image. That's why in Romans 8.28, it says all things. That he uses all things. He uses the good. He uses the bad. He uses the joyful. He uses the sorrowful. He uses every point in our life for a purpose, and that's so that we can be conformed to His image. There is a richness to that. I believe it was last week when I read Philippians 1.6, where Paul wrote, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I love how Paul wrote that. Because there you see God at work throughout our life. He began a good work. And he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Where we're ultimately transformed in our glorified state. So this idea regarding the question in verse 32, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Isn't all things in a material sense? Yes, we get material blessings by being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. We get blessings by being a follower. But the question that Paul is posing here is relating to our salvation. God would be cruel 
if he didn't give us the tools that we need to live the Christian life. The Bible says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. God would be cruel if he told us to be holy, but he didn't give us the tools in which we can attain holiness. But he gives us the tools. We have the indwelling of the Spirit. He has lifted the veil from our eyes so you and I can read the Bible and we can understand the revealed Word of God. We have the power of prayer where we can go and kneel before the throne of God with boldness and have confidence that He hears us and that He answers our prayers. So when you read this question in context of salvation, and that word salvation means God at work throughout our life, that question then has significance and meaning. God is not withholding anything from us to accomplish His purpose. He's not withholding. Knowing that, knowing the purpose of God, in what he's trying to accomplish, and what he will accomplish in our life, in having that at the centerpiece of our life, for us to wake up every morning and realize that God is at work in our life, that he is working in our life in whatever we find ourselves in, whether we're in a period of trial and tribulation, or whether we're in a period of joy, recognizing that God is at work and is accomplishing His purpose in our life every single day. If we would wake up every morning with that idea in our mind, with that truth in our mind, it changes our entire perspective on the world. It changes it. We're living in a time where we are going to face increased trial and tribulation. We're living in a time where society is getting worse. Should we be shocked by that? Didn't he tell us that? Isn't that in the Bible? That society would get worse? He clearly told us that. But unfortunately... The Christian community has gotten so far away from scriptural truth that we forget that point. The way that I look at it is that it just means that we're one day closer to the Lord returning. God's accomplishing His purpose. Things are going to have to get worse before His return. And He's returning. And we need to keep Christ as the center point in our life. And we need to... Focus on the fact that, praise God, we've been redeemed, we've been called into his family, and he is not withholding anything from us. And in fact, he's taking care of his people along the way. And with that, I'd like for us to look at Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 25. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God in His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." That focus on Christ, that focus on the kingdom, that focus on the fact that we are in God's family enables us to understand the question that Paul posed in verse 32 in Romans 8. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you that we can truly rest in you. We can rest in you in the fact that you're sovereign. We can rest in the fact that you're providential, that you care for your children. And I just pray, Lord, and thank you that you have given us all of the tools that we need to move farther along in being conformed into the image of your son. I pray, Lord, that we might always focus on you. I pray for people that are perhaps listening through sermon audio that don't know you, that they might accept this wonderful gift, a gift that we truly can't comprehend the fullness and the depth, but they would accept it They would turn from their life of sin and accept the gift that you have in store for them of having Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash Mill Creek Church. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org